Well, today is our 13th sermon in our series in Genesis. We have seen our all-powerful God create the heavens and the earth and all that fills the earth. We have observed God's love and care for his creation, especially mankind. We've observed human beings consistently rebel and reject and mistrust God. And we have seen God respond redemptively. And we're at the place in the arc of this story where God is suddenly becoming very focused on his plan to rescue and deliver humanity from their sin and rebellion. And of course, that brought us to Abram. We'll soon know him as Abraham, but for today, he is still Abram. And God made amazing promises to Abram to make him into a great nation, to give him land and inheritance, and perhaps most amazingly, that the whole world would be blessed through him. But we saw last week, and we will see again in the weeks to come, that God didn't pick Abram because of his perfect, uh, because of his perfect behavior, because of his sinless perfection. He uh, has sinned, and we will see him sin again in significant ways. And what we'll find is that God will continue to be faithful in carrying out his plan to redeem and to save and to rescue. And so we arrive at our text for today in Genesis chapter 13. Abram sinned against God and against his wife Sarai in Egypt in the second half of chapter 12. And that sets up our text for today. Genesis chapter 13. This is God's word to us. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are very close, for we are close relatives." Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, 
Look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Gracious Lord, we place ourselves today under the authority of your word. We know that your word is true and it is good, and so we pray that it would change us, transform us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are two primary people who show up in our text for today. We have a couple of chapters here that sort of detail for us the relationship between Abram and his nephew, Lot. Lot is the son of Abram's younger brother, Haran, and we saw in chapter 12 that when Abram sets out on his journey, Lot goes along with him. We don't know why Lot leaves his father to journey with his uncle, but he does, and it can be assumed that, that Lot accompanies his uncle to Egypt and now, in today's text, back to Canaan. Today we're, we're focusing our attention on the, the circumstances surrounding Lot and Abram parting ways. While it's not maybe the action-packed text of last week in Egypt or of some of the weeks to come, this, this passage does reveal some really important ideas for us to consider, to wrestle with this morning. What we find is that this passage contrasts Abram and Lot. And that is really a contrast between two approaches to life. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talked about these two approaches to life. He labeled them those who live by faith as opposed to those who live by sight. So allow me to share with you this morning three marks of those who live by faith and two marks of those who live by sight. So first, three marks of those who live by faith. Obviously, in our text for today, Abram is the person in the account who's living by faith. In verse 4, we see that the first thing that Abram does when he leaves Egypt and gets back to the promised land was that he heads for Bethel, where he had previously built an altar to the Lord. And, and it says that there he called upon the name of the Lord. I think we can assume that this was a time of humility, a time of repentance before the Lord for what he had done in Egypt. So we have this interaction in our text between Abram and Lot that reveals what it means to live by faith. What are the marks of those who live by faith? And the first one that we see is that those who live by faith are working for peace. Notice verse 6 of our text. It says, But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and lots. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Uh, Abram, perhaps being humbled by his failure in Egypt, 
has no interest in there being quarreling or dissension in his family, in his extended family. He, he hears that some of the employees are, are starting to fight with one another, probably quarreling over pasture land. And so Abram steps in to fix the problem uh, before it gets out of hand. Now, bear in mind, the journey from Bethel to the Negev and then over to Egypt is about a 280-mile journey on foot with children, animals, everything they owned through significant desert stretches. Combine that with the fact that we don't know how long Abram and his family were in Egypt. And then the same 280-mile journey back to Bethel. This is a significant period of time. We take this step in a week, but this was a significant stretch of time. Children have been born, families have grown, herds have increased in size. Abram and Lot find themselves with substantial operations, too large to keep together. And so rather than try to maintain his, his leadership, his control over such a large enterprise, rather than deal with all of the dissension that comes with it, Abram encourages Lot to take his people, his herds, his possessions, and to go off on their own. Abram, though he was sort of the leading patriarch of this extended group of travelers, yielded to his nephew. He puts his needs, his wants, his desires second to another in an effort to maintain, to ensure peace. This is the mark of one who is living by faith. It's especially noticeable in a, in a world where the religion of the day is self-first. Abram chose the way of self-denial, of peace. Now it's helpful to notice a Abram's response wasn't hey, bring those herders in here, let's sit in a circle, let's sing kumbaya, let's just work this out. He realized that the better answer to solve the problem was for each party just to go their own ways. That way everyone had plenty of pasture land, everyone could be taken care of and happy. We live in an era, I don't know if you've noticed this, we live in an era where working for peace will get you labeled a traitor. In our current social and political climate where the loudest voices come from the extreme wings, being a moderate is suddenly a negative thing. Being nuanced, thoughtful, arriving at a rational and peaceful resolution is seen as foolish and dangerous to the cause. Some people, even some in the church, feel the need to be agitators, to spread dissension, to always find something wrong, to always point out the negative. But we see in our text that a mark of someone who's walking by faith is that they work toward peace. What else do we see about those who walk by faith in our text? Second, we see sacrificial generosity. Verse 9, is not the whole land before you? Let's Park company, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered. Th think about what takes place here. Abram is the older, higher ranking family member. He, he could have just made the decision. He could have divided things up as he saw fit. But he was, he was trusting 
in what God had already promised. And he told Lot, you can have your pick. Take whatever land you wish. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go right, I'll go left. We'll talk more about this in a moment, but Lot chooses the land that looks the best. But what I want you to focus on right now is is Abram's sacrificial generosity. He could have set things up to ensure that the chips fell in his favor. But he was willing to give up the better watered land. He knew the promises of God. He knew the provision of God. He knew that God had promised that all the land would belong to his descendants anyway. He knew that God was going to make him into a great nation. And so he was free because of what he knew about what God had promised. To be selfless. To be sacrificially generous. I got a a phone call this week from someone in our church family. And long story short... uh, I'm excited to let you know that this person gave us a gift this week that's fully paying off the remaining balance on our church's mortgage. Plus some. Once the transaction's clear next week, we will be 100% debt-free as a church. The reason I mention this is that this isn't a person who's sitting on great wealth. This is someone who would have had every human reason to hang on to this substantial gift, just in case. They're living by faith, trusting in the Lord's promises and his care and his provision. They made the decision to to live with sacrificial generosity, to actually believe that God is sufficient and will provide for every need. That's a mark of walking by faith. Working for peace, sacrificial generosity. Third, what do we see as a mark of those walking by faith? Third, we see consistent worship. If you read your bulletin today, I I hypothesize a little bit about why Abram got himself into trouble in Egypt. It's interesting, Abram lives in consistent worship of God when he's in Shechem and Bethel. And then there's no mention of an altar, no mention of worship as he heads to the Negev and then over into Egypt. And that's when Abram gets into trouble. But in our text today, we see in verse 4 that as soon as Abram gets back to Bethel, to familiar territory, he calls on the name of the Lord. And then fast forward to the end of our text for today. Lot leaves with his people and his herds, and God speaks to Abram and reminds him of the promises that he had made. That this land will all be his, that God's going to bless all people through him, that God will make his offspring numerous like the dust of the earth. And then we arrive at verse 18, and it says this, So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Don't think for a minute that this altar building that we see mentioned in chapters 12 and 13 is just insignificant detail that's added to the account. These chapters are almost structured around the notion of altar building. And that's for good reason. Anywhere you look in the scriptures, you see that that consistent worship is a mark of those who are walking by faith. One of the dangers of our low church, maybe less liturgical 
style of worship is that, that we can at times, I think, lose the, the urgency of consistent, rhythmic worship in the life of the believer. I often hear people say things like, I can worship from my tree stand or my living room as well as I can in church. And, and that might well be true if our definition of worship is simply looking at the beautiful rolling hills of North Dakota and mystically feeling in touch with a higher power. If that's what worship is, then maybe that's true. And that might be some type of worship, but that's not Christian worship. Think about what would have happened at these altars that Abram built to worship the Lord. There would have been prayer, there would have been confession of sin, and then there would have been sacrifice. An animal would have been sacrificed. We'll see this in just a couple of weeks on Mount Moriah when Abram climbs the mountain with his son Isaac. But think about the significance of that type of worship. This lamb being sacrificed, its blood being shed in the place of Abram's. For Abram's sin, in order that Abram may be at peace with God. As the Lord has given us his supper, that rhythmic meal of grace, in which we come face to face with our need for a sacrifice, for a substitute, and we see and smell and taste the sacrifice of God for our sin, that the consistent worship that, that marks the life of the one who's walking by faith is not a quick moment in which we're mystically recentered. It's time when the law of God is thrust before our eyes, showing us our sin, showing us how damned we are if we're left to ourselves. And then it's the gospel proclaimed, the good news that Christ was sacrificed in our place, proclaimed into our hearts and our minds and our souls. We, we need that. We need that every, every day, every week. We need someone who faithfully reminds us of our inability to save ourselves, of our tendency to wander when we aren't driven back to the cross every week. We, we need someone to look us in the eye and call us sinners. And then to look us in the eye and give us Jesus. Three marks of one who's living by faith, working for peace, sacrificial generosity, consistent worship. And now I want to mention two marks of those who live by sight. The first one is this, human-focused decision-making. Look at verse 10 of our text. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. How does Lot go about making his decisions? With his eyes. He was trusting in what he could see. He looks to see which land looks better to him, which will make his life easier, which will be more profitable. And that's what he chooses. Lot decides entirely based upon what he could see in that moment. And of course, this is what continues to plague humanity to this day. That we make our decisions based purely on what we can see and not on what God has said or promised, not based on what's good for our neighbor. 
And the reality is that there are many things that Lot can't see in his decision. I want you to sit in that tension for a minute. When's the last time that you made a a significant decision based on faith rather than sight? When's the last time you, you gave a gift so generous? When's the last time that you truly risked something, sacrificed something for the good of God's kingdom, for the good of your neighbor? This is not a question to to heap guilt, but to really force us to to sit in this text for a minute. Abram makes a self-sacrificial decision, trusting in the promises of God. And Lot decides purely with his eyes, purely according to the flesh. And this just illustrates how inconsistent we are as sinners. Remember last week? The message of last week was, hey, don't be like Abraham. He's an idiot. And this week, it's, hey, be like Abraham. Don't be like Lot. He's an idiot. And what we discover is that the message is not be like anyone. The message is live by faith. Trust in the Lord and in his promises. That The first mark of those who live by sight is human focused decision-making. And the second is this, moving toward spiritual desolation. There are almost eerie undertones to verses 11 and 12 if you know what's coming up in the story, right? Listen to these words. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Of course, we know that Sodom is not a good place to be. It's not where you want to move your family. It's a place of spiritual desolation. And how many Christians have made decisions with their eyes that looked good? Places that looked like well-watered territory. But the end result was putting their job before their family, resulted in spiritual desolation, putting activities, leisure, whatever it is, before Worship that resulted in spiritual desolation. I've had the opportunity to visit with many and to hear a number of -of end-of-life regrets. I've never heard somebody say that they wish they would have worked more. They wish they would have spent less time as a family in church. I've heard many people say, They regret that they were so busy chasing the wind, living by what they could see, that they neglected their their children, especially their children's spiritual well-being. I've I've heard many people say they regret what they passed on to their kids from a spiritual perspective. It's so easy in our world to make decisions based solely on what we see on what looks right, on what we see everybody else doing. Decisions that actually lead us to set up camp next to Sodom. Moving us to a place of spiritual desolation. And I would, I would warn you today that, that it's possible to do this even while you're sitting in church every week. It's possible to be so enamored with this world that you check the box of Sunday church attendance, but your heart... He's in a tent next to Sodom. 
It's possible to show up here because you know it's the right thing to do, but to functionally worship any number of other things, whether it's your camp having control in some area, a lust for wealth, any number of false gods that the world offers us. It's possible to be here physically this morning, but you're daydreaming about your vacation home on the outskirts of Sodom, the edge of spiritual desolation. Lot made decisions with his eyes. He was walking by sight, and he found himself on the outskirts of Sodom. Don't miss this, this intentional contrast in our text. Lot is camped out near Sodom where the people were wicked. Scripture says sinning greatly, and Abram is at Hebron, building an altar, worshiping the Lord. We know it's not because Abram was a better guy. We learned that last week. We'll learn it several more times very clearly. This is what I find to be powerful in our text. There's this phrase in verse 14. It says this, After Lot leaves, God tells Abraham to do something. And what does God tell Abraham to do? Quote, Look around from where you are. Or we might translate it as, Lift up your eyes. And God directs him not to look like Lot did at what looks best in the moment. God says, look at my promises. Look at what I've declared to be true. Lift up your eyes. See what I have promised to you. This is such a profound message for us. Lift up your eyes. Look beyond where you're at right now. Look beyond the valley or the crisis or the funk or the situation that you Find yourself in and be reminded of the promises of God. And what are those promises? It's the promise that Abram was reminded of when he went to the altar at Bethel or at Hebron. The promise of one sacrificed in his place for his sin. And that's true for you and for me. Abram didn't walk by faith perfectly. He was faithful and obedient today, and he was a train wreck tomorrow, just like you, just like me. And so he went to the altar, and he was reminded of the one who would come, the true Lamb of God who would be offered up, who would be sacrificed for him. And unlike Abram, we have the great joy of looking back to that as historical fact, rather than looking forward in hopeful anticipation. We live as people for whom the promise of God has already come. Your hope today, the hope for each of us today, is, is not wrapped up in our ability to live by faith rather than by sight. That's the work of God. That's the work that God will produce within us as we trust in him. Your hope today, my hope today, is in the offspring of Abram, who'd be slain, sacrificed, whose blood would be shed for you and for me. And, and so we don't view these, these marks that I've talked about as a list of things that we must do to earn our way or to keep God happy. Instead, we look at them. We confess our failure. And we turn to the cross Repenting that we don't walk by faith as we ought. 
and grateful that Jesus did perfectly for us. And then we ask God to work within us, to strengthen us, to live, to walk as he desires. We never place our assurance in our ability or our inability to walk by faith. All of our hope, all of our assurance is in Christ and Christ alone. And yet we long to walk by faith. To be people who work for peace, to be sacrificially generous, to be consistent in worship because it's what's best for us and it's what's best for our neighbor and for God's kingdom. And so my prayer today is that the Spirit of God would do that work within me and within you. And that we would rest knowing that our hope and our salvation are in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. God, when we hear these words from Genesis 13 and we see this list of marks, marks of those who walk by faith and those who walk by sight, we, we confess that the only place that we can turn is to the cross. We recognize that we, we, we confess today that we have sinned against you in thought, with our words and with our actions, that we have done things that we shouldn't do, that we haven't done things that we should do. And so we look to you, we, we run to you for mercy. We ask you to forgive us. And we know that our only hope for life, for eternity, is in your grace to us in Christ. So we thank you that he was the the object of the altars that Abram built. When he called out to you in repentance and faith that it was Christ to whom he was looking. And he's the one to whom we look today, confessing our sin and receiving the promise of your forgiveness and the hope of eternal life you've promised to us. We pray that you would help us to to rest today in your answer for our sin. And we ask you to deepen our faith, our, our trust, that we may be people who walk by faith and not by sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.